Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Hello everyone, my name's Natasha and this is the last part of the series on the Bible series. It's the seventh talk and it's focusing on the last book of the Bible called Revelation. You know, stories are a part of every culture in the world. Some stories are really epic, like the Lord of the Rings or the Matrix trilogy or the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. But a lot of them are about heroes on a quest. And I think the reason that these kind of stories are so much a part of every culture, stories of hope overcoming evil and often about a hero rescuing people, are because they're an echo of the true story the story of God and Jesus overcoming evil in our world. And that's the the true eternal story that's played out across the the pages of the Bible. A good world gone bad, a hero comes to rescue everyone, and against all odds, he does this and saves everyone. Now, the last book of the Bible, Revelation, is about Jesus Christ's sure victory over sin, death, disaster, evil, And something, if you're a Christian, that we all long for, and that is for God to come and make his home with us and for God to restore all things in heaven and earth to their original design, to the way that he had always wanted them to to be. So first of all, let's just do a lightning two-minute recap of the entire Bible. So the Bible's in two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, the word testament is a bit of an old-fashioned word, but a testament is something that serves as evidence of a specific fact or event. So we might say the invention of vaccines for the coronavirus is a testament to the brilliance of scientists. Or a testament can be used as part of like a a special um, agreement. So we might say the last will and testament of Joe Bloggs. So the Old and New Testaments are evidences of a covenant agreement between God and the human race. That's quite amazing, isn't it? And it starts in the Old Testament with Genesis and tells us how God um, created Adam and Eve in a perfect world, had a close relationship with them until they chose to reject him and go their own way. And the whole of the rest of the Bible then records God's intervention in human history. And around 2000 BC, it tells us about how God formed a special relationship with Abraham and promises to bless his descendants. And God promises to um, pour out his blessing through his descendants to the rest of the world. And it starts with Jacob, who has 12 sons, who are the 12 tribes of Israel, who are eventually enslaved in Egypt by the Egyptians. And God sends Moses to rescue them out of slavery and take them out of um, Egypt into the promised land, which is Israel. And at that time, God promises to send them a prophet like Moses in the future. And that's when we hear about the coming of a Messiah. You can read about that in Deuteronomy 18, 15. And at that time, God tells the Israelites that he's holy. And if they want to be his people, then they need to recognise they have to live differently than the people around them. He gives them laws to obey and he says if they disobey these laws and they're guilty, they're sinning against him. And the only way to be forgiven is by a blood sacrifice of a lamb. And this is done on behalf of the whole nation once a year. 
God makes a holy covenant or a testament with the Israelites where he promises to give them outrageous blessings if they obey and trust him, but also curses if they don't. You can read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 28. It's absolutely amazing. And then most of the Old Testament records a series of prophets and priests and judges and kings who lead the Israelites, but they go through these continual cycles of obeying God and being blessed and things going really well. And then they become really self-satisfied and they disobey God and go their own way. And so God rejects them. And because they're not following his laws, he allows them to be overrun by their enemies because they become so corrupt. And then because of that, they repent, they turn back to God, and then God sends someone to rescue them and he restores them. But this happens over and over again until we get to the end of the Old Testament. That's pretty much uh, a lot of the Old Testament is about the story of Israel and the um, prophecies as well from the um, prophets who are trying to guide Israel through all their different rebellion. But we get to the end of the Old Testament and then there's silence for about 400 years. We hear nothing from God. And then there we, the scene changes dramatically and we start on the New Testament. The New Testament's really different. God decides not to send prophets because that clearly doesn't work. He decides to enter human history himself. And God is a triune being. He's a trinity. There's the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And they decide to enter the mess of human life. The Word is actually going to become human. That's Jesus who becomes the Son of God, but he's also the Son of Man. And this has actually been God's plan before he even created the world, because he knew it was going to become corrupt. He knew he would always enter the world. And this is when God fulfills his promise to Moses, when he said he would send a Messiah to save the people. Remember, the Israelites needed that blood sacrifice of a lamb once a year for their sins. But now Jesus, the Son of God, lives a pure and sinless life and offers himself as a willing sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, not just on behalf of the Israelites, but the whole world, so that the, whole, the sins of the whole world can be forgiven. Jesus said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. And this is the new holy covenant. That's what holy communion is, where it represents Jesus' body and blood. It's God forgiving the sins of the entire world. And this is God's radical plan that those who trust in him, who love him, who choose to follow him, instead of giving them laws to follow, like in the Old Testament, he's going to actually come and live inside them. He's going to change them from the inside. And then after his death, Jesus rises from the dead, ascends to heaven and sends the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And he comes to actually empower the disciples then and now to live for God. And so now God is changing people by living within them, helping them to try and live like Jesus, living lives of compassion and kindness and standing against and resisting evil. And the rest of the New Testament describes the growth of the early church until we get to the end of the Bible when we've got the book of Revelation. Now, the whole of the New Testament was written in Greek, and the Greek word for revelation is apocalypsis, which means revealing or um, 
unveiling. It doesn't mean apocalypse, as we think of often in Hollywood movies, which means war, death and destruction. That's how Hollywood portrays it. The book was written by a disciple named John around the first century, and he has this incredible vision which reveals what will happen at the end of time. Now, a lot of people haven't read the book of Revelation because they find it too difficult, too weird, or too scary. But it's, it's true, it is different from all other books in the Bible, but it, it contains a promise right at the beginning. God will bless everyone who reads this prophecy to others, and he will bless everyone who hears and obey it, obeys it. And now we're going to hear how Lyndon's experience of reading Revelation had surprising results. I was a young lad, um, I was a teenager, born and bred in, up north, in a countryside, in the middle of nowhere, literally a tiny little village, 180 odd people. I was a, the only boy of a lot of girls. The girls were wanted. I was definitely made to feel unwanted. I've got an older and a younger sister. My oldest sister was a deliberate replacement, if you like, for unfortunately my eldest sister who died at six weeks old. Um, my younger sister was again extremely deliberate in the fact that my um, father had his vasectomy reversed just to be able to try and I was the one in the middle. Once I was told dozens if not hundreds of times the fact that I was an accident. I was not supposed to be here in their eyes. I was an accident. As a teenager with what I lived under rebelled and I rebelled big style. Part of that rebellion was to find me and part of that rebellion was against my parents. I was into heavy metal at the time. I got into that as an act of rebellion against my parents. It was a route to channel anger, to channel anger against society as well as against them. On the I Made an Album, specifically the fourth one, Peace of Mind, there was a quote from Revelations which dictated a better future. It dictated a better way of life. Revelations 21 verse 4. And one of the songs on the album that they deliberately there was called Revelations. And it, it kind of describes where I was, how I felt, and the quote from Revelations was almost a where I could be. So it was only four years, four years later when I eventually got to university in Bristol and the Gideons had kindly left a Bible that actually managed to read Revelations. Revelation essentially was the reveal, you know, I didn't know at the time, was revealing the divine, revealing the hidden, revealing what God wanted the world to know. I was able to picture and in my mind's eye actually see, see the clouds, see the seals being ripped open, see the four horsemen, see the every little bit of it. It was, yeah, it came to life and it really did come to life. And it's seeing that and actually feeling it and the emotions that went within it was, well, life-changing to put it mildly. And then it got to the end and then you have that wonderful verse that, you know, everything I've been through, everything I've experienced, that God shall wipe away those tears. And it was, yeah, it's, and it was there just on, mindlessly on the back of an Iron Maiden arm. It changed my outlook because it's, I discovered that I was more 
absolutely more than I'd ever been told I was. Everything that had been imposed, whether it's the self-negativity, whether it was the pushing down, whether it was the controlling, whether it was the humiliating, whether it was the anything was actually false. That they may be the people that, you know, gave birth to me, that brought me into the world, that got me to that point in life. But there was somebody else. You know, whatever had happened, had happened. It was history, it was, it was fact of life, it, it was life shaping, but it was also wrong. And the, the basis behind it was wrong. The fact that I was wanted, I was loved, I was accepted, that I had a right, I had a voice, I had a reason. I suppose the big word missing was I was loved. Life wasn't just an endurance from one day to the next. It was, it was, yeah, there was something about it. It's encouraging, isn't it, to hear how powerfully the Bible can affect people, as in Lyndon's story. Now, when we talk about the end of the world, we often think of Hollywood movies, which are generally depressing. They portray a dystopian society with this terrible divides between the rich and the poor, and there's a lot of corruption. It's true that we are the most technologically advanced that we've ever been, but we haven't solved the problems of society, problems that plague us like selfishness, greed, corruption, injustice. Or we might think of scientific and philosophical opinions that project the idea that humans will completely ruin the planet beyond repair. And even now with the Paris Agreement to limit global warming, the problem is that glaciers are melting now. Deforestation is occurring now. We can't wait to solve these problems. In fact, just the other day, Sir David Attenborough said that now the security, the very security of the planet is at risk and projecting that it's beyond compare, repair. Let's face it, without God, our future as humans doesn't look hopeful. And I wonder how God feels about our planet when he, look, when he looks at what we've done to it, this beautiful planet that he made for us to enjoy and share its resources. I know myself as an individual, I can feel quite helpless and hopeless when I look out at the world. If I look at things from a merely human perspective, but the fantastic news is God is going to intervene. We don't need to guess what will happen. We don't need to listen to Hollywood or hope that scientists come up with a solution because God's made it very clear what's going to happen at the end of time. The book of Revelation was written 2000 years ago and yet it's telling us what's going to happen in the future. If you think of the Bible as a whole, starting with Genesis, it telling us about a perfect world that God created that goes wrong, um, we find that there's a key character in there, it's Satan. He's the devil, the enemy of God, and he actively encourages individuals and nations to ignore God and live their lives without any reference to God whatsoever. And Jesus said, the devil has been sinning since the beginning. beginning. The reason the Son of God came was to destroy the works of the devil. That's good news, isn't it? And it doesn't end there. The book of Revelation tells us the last chapter in human history. 
It's different from most books in the Bible because it's got a lot of symbolic imagery um, that are contained in the vision. But but these the vision in Revelation links to other visions in the Bible that are in Isaiah, the books of Isaiah and Zechariah and Daniel and Ezekiel. And they also, uh, the book of Revelation links to Matthew chapter 24, when Jesus talks about the end of the world. Now, Revelation is complex, but there are some very key themes that are evident. Number one, Satan will uh, encourage the entire world to unite against God. There will be a world leader who sets himself up against God, and he sets up one world system. But just like in the story of the Israelites who were fleeing Egypt where there were 10 plagues, God will pour out plagues on the entire earth. But the same as the um, Israelites in Egypt, God will protect all those who love him from these plagues. And there will be a second coming of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter four, Jesus refers to himself as the son of man, because remember, he is man and he is God. And he's referring to the uh, prophecy in the book of Daniel, which is about the son of man. And this is what Jesus says. And then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels out with a mighty blast of a trumpet and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the furthest ends of the earth and heaven. It's incredible. So Jesus came 2,000 years ago as a little baby in a manger, but his, and that was just to Israel. But his second coming will be a worldwide event that will somehow be seen by all peoples at the same time. Despite Satan trying to take control of the earth, God will ultimately destroy Satan and destroy this world leader who is against God. Listen to what happens in ch- from chapters 20 and 21 in Revelation, because it will affect every single person that's ever lived. Then I saw a great white throne of God. Sorry, I saw a great white throne and God who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things 
has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Isn't that amazing? Revelation tells us not of a dystopian future, but of a glorious future where God restores all things to their perfect original state and he comes to live with mankind. And that's what all of us who love God are longing for. You only have to go somewhere that touches you, like for me on a hill on a beautiful day and the sun's shining and the birds are singing and my heart is swelling with joy. That's just a tiny, tiny glimpse of what it will be like with the new heavens and new earth. Now, although deep down we're longing for this new, beautiful place, somehow we often forget as Christians to have a future perspective and we just get completely focused on our lives here and now. You know, I think it's a bit like children playing in preschools. You know where children have these little mini replicas of the adult world, you know, like a little kitchen or a little workbench? <clears throat> I remember when I was at preschool and we had like a little plastic village. There was a shop and a bakery and we had uh, houses with little kitchens and we had plastic fruit and vegetables and pretend money. And everyone wanted to be in charge of the shop. I think it was because of the, you had the power with the pretend money and the feeling of being in charge. Now, of course, as young children, we're just mimicking the adult world. But to children, it feels really real at the time. I remember my friend sobbing because she didn't have enough money, enough pretend money to buy her plastic cake at the bakery because the boy there in charge said she didn't have enough money. Children obviously know that it's not real, but when you're a child at that time, it feels really real. And perhaps that's a bit like our lives as Christians. Of course, we want to be working hard and giving our all to wherever God has placed us. But this world is temporary and our bodies are temporary. And it's just a matter of times before we finish this life and leave our bodies and meet Jesus, I, either when we die or when we meet Jesus at his second coming we'll be given a new body and everything will be completely glorious. We'll be entering into our real lives, I think then, everything that we've been longing for. But perhaps sometimes we're a bit like children with plastic money and plastic villages. You know, life is around 80 years if we're healthy and life to come is eternal, we're never gonna die. And we know we're going to leave this world and that everything that's eternal is in the world to come. But sometimes I think we get so completely caught up in our lives here, playing with our plastic money and our toys and thinking everything is of such importance. But from a perspective of a new heaven and a new earth, maybe when we're looking back in eternity, we'll be saying, why did I think that was all so important? That that job promotion was so important, that that thing I wanted to buy was so important. You know, Jesus talks about a parable of a sower, sowing seed, and he talks about different types of seed. In this parable, he says some falls on um, a path that the birds gobble up. Some of the seed falls in uh, shallow soil, rocky soil, and it grows up, but it, it dies quite quickly. Other falls into a weedy patch and the thorns grow up and choke it. And then some falls on good soil and it produces a bumper crop. And he explains that this is what happens to us. We are the seeds when we hear the word of God, the, the message of Jesus. And some people are like the seed that falls on the 
the path that the devil snatches the words that are sown into their hearts and it's gone. Other people are like the seed in the shallow soil. They hear about Jesus, they think it's great, but as soon as trouble or persecution comes, they abandon their faith. Other people are like the seed in the soil with the weeds. The thorns choke their spiritual life. Jesus says it's the the thorns represent the deceitfulness of wealth and the cares and worries of life. And then the bumper crop are those people who hear about Jesus. They really get it. They give their whole lives to Jesus and live for Jesus. And they're the ones that produce a fantastic crop. I wonder how many of us are like those seeds that grow up and are choked by the thorns, by the cares and worries of life. I wonder how many of us are being having our spiritual lives choked by these things. It's not the things themselves in life that are the worry, the problem, it's our focus on them because they become all important. And these things were here before we had the pandemic, but maybe they're more magnified, you know, our health, how we're gonna pay our bills, our job, our children, what the future holds. All these things can grip us, but Jesus doesn't want us to be consumed by these. He actually says, it says in Philippians chapter four, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. And then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And this peace will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. We can utterly trust Jesus to help us and save us if we put our trust in him. And if we do that, then our names are written in the book of life. Jesus said, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So the solution is to shift our focus. Realize, really get that this life is just a preparation for the world that's to come. We know this in our hearts. And the Bible says, And when Christ, who is your life, appears, when he is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. How amazing is that? All the sacrifices that we make for Jesus, everything that seems hard or confusing or difficult now will all make sense when we meet Jesus and it will be worth an immense amount to him when we either die or when we see him on his return. So let's get our focus right now. Realize that it's of eternal value to live for God in the here and now. I'm going to invite you to dedicate your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe this will be the first time you've done this, that you want to decide to follow Jesus. Or maybe you've been a Christian for years and yet you realize you've got distracted and that you've just been focusing on your temporary life here instead of living in the fantastic expectation of Jesus returning. Let's pray together now. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for our sins so that we can have a confident hope of being with you in eternity. We ask you to forgive our wrong actions and our wrong attitudes. Jesus, help us to remember that you said if we trust in you, we have eternal life and no one can snatch us out of your hand. Help us to love you, to follow you, and to live in the confident expectation that one day you will return and put all things right. Amen. 
For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.